Chapter 25 Losing Altitude Your engines are shutting down and you're losing control. The Nesiva Shalom says, A person who is captured by the enemy may very well be in perfect physical health. However, his life has no meaning. Hashem took a holy Jewish soul straight from heaven and placed him smack in the middle of World War III. Step 1 your inborn pull to do bad. The Arachayim HaKadosh explains, Yesh meisis shebaim ha'adam yoyim heyoysei ba'olam, fuhu meisis le'adam lahara. To begin with, every single person has an inborn pull to do bad. Every child naturally wants to do things that he is told not to do. Everyone has an evil inclination pulling him down. Let's bring an example. To prove the point. Cruise control. A true story. There was once a yeshiva bachar who was not behaving properly. His wise Rosh Hashiva called him in and asked, Nu, so what will be with you? The boy answered, I'm letting my life roll. To which the wise tzaddik responded, Nothing ever rolls uphill. The Archaim HaKadosh says, It goes even a step further. Step number two. New pulls to sin. Each time a person sins, you create an inner pull within you to do more bad. Just as someone develops a stronger urge to smoke each time he takes a cigarette, so too, each time you sin, you build up an internal urge to sin again that is in addition to your original urge to sin that you were born with. So now, you think you are taking a cigarette, but the truth is, the cigarette is taking you. You think you are taking a drink, but the truth is, the drink is taking you. And in the very same way, you think you are taking a sin, but the truth is, the sin is taking you. And then the Arachayim HaKadosh says, there's a third step, a new inborn pull to sin. After you keep on sinning over and over, you acquire a new evil soul, like the addictive voice that becomes an official member of your thought process and now has a seat at the table and a vote in all that you do. It really feels at home. And this is very similar to what happens to someone who becomes addicted to something. The process of addiction is as follows. No person is born an addictive smoker. Addiction happens only after a certain number of cigarettes are smoked whereupon, at that point, the person becomes mentally and physically dependent on them. At first, when a person decides to smoke, he has complete freedom of choice, Bechira, to make a conscious decision whether he wants to smoke or not. Even if there was an outside external pressure influencing him, like peer pressure, pushing him to smoke, but still there was no internal drive to smoke. However, as the person continues to make that decision to smoke, each friendly cigarette that he chooses to smoke brings him closer and closer to the point where he will eventually lose the ability to choose to not smoke. 
it will become natural for him to smoke and he will no longer go through the original decision process each time that he wants to take a cigarette. It's just what he does. It's the way he is. No longer is he just a person who smokes. Now he is a smoker. No longer is there just an external voice calling out to you, such as a friend, someone you're trying to impress, the cool kids in the neighborhood rebelling against authority, etc. Rather, it is now your own internal voice demanding to be pleased. Listen closely to that voice of temptation calling out to you, and you will hear that it sounds exactly like you. Once a person is officially a smoker, every decision in his life is affected by his addiction. A smoker might actually turn down a better job, give up marrying the right person, and ruin many golden opportunities throughout his lifetime, all because he is mishubed, bound and gagged to his new boss, a stick of poison. You see this clearly whenever you see a smoker standing outside, shivering in the freezing cold, smoking a cigarette between his chapped and shaking hands. He's a slave to the cigarette. It's bad enough that cigarettes can kill you, but it doesn't even let you live. And at this point, even if he were to decide to quit smoking, he would require a tremendous amount of commitment and effort. He may need all kinds of patches, chewing devices, therapy, and even perhaps hypnosis. He becomes exposed to the pain of constant challenge and failure as he tries to wrestle back control to stop doing the very thing which he himself freely invited and chose to do so many times before. This is why we will always hear a smoker say, I need a cigarette, for it is his eye that needs and craves and demands the addiction. The slogan, I need, becomes so powerful that it controls the rest of the person's mind. And at this point, the I need motto becomes the central factor in every decision he makes. This explains why addicts are completely self-centered, since their entire worldview revolves around their own needs. As the Yayin Saraf and the Nesiva Emma Once the concept of I need comes before your own personal needs and comforts, then it will certainly take precedence over other people's needs. At this point, your entire focus is about your needs and you evolve into a self-centered person. You come to internally believe that you are the center of the universe and the entire universe revolves around you. And now that this is who you are, who you became, what you somehow evolved into, your new life revolves around feeding your newly acquired needs that you just can't live without. You think the whole world runs around you and you lose your sensitivity to the needs and feelings of others. It's all about you all the time. Let's bring an example to prove the point. Twisted Priorities a wealthy lawyer parked his car at the side of the road and opened his door of his new BMW. Suddenly, a speeding car appeared from nowhere, hitting the door and ripping it off the car. The lawyer was outraged. When the police arrived at the scene, the lawyer whined, Officer, look what that person did to my new Beamer. You have to find him and arrest him. 
The policeman answered him, You lawyers are so materialistic. You make me sick. You're so upset about your stupid BMW that you didn't even notice that your left arm was ripped off in the accident. Finally noticing his missing arm, the lawyer gasped, Oh no, my Rolex! So now we understand clearly how addiction starts out as an outside influence with very little control over the person, yet it ends up being the all-powerful deciding factor of the person's life. Even a sophisticated, intelligent, mature person can end up making foolish decisions like an impulsive, immature child. The homeless guy standing next to the billionaire in the cold smoking a cigarette shows that both are ultimately controlled by the same small-minded addiction. So now let's understand how sin does the same thing to us. The Nesiva Shalom says, There are many things that can restrict a person to the point that he is no longer a free man. Let's discuss these different things. 1. Family and peer pressure. As we explained before, every person is affected by his surroundings. He is affected by the people in his life and all the various factors that are in his life, which yeshiva he is in, which shul he davens in, the location in which he is brought up, where he spends his summers, and so on and so forth. Just as the inborn tendencies given to you by Hashem make up who you are, so too everything about the way you were brought up and the people you encountered have a real effect on who you are. For example, Two people with the same exact internal makeup will lead completely different lives if one is born into a Hasidish home and one is born into a modern home. If a child is born in Yerushalayim where he's surrounded by smokers, it does not mean that if he had been born in Muncie, he would be smoking by age 12. Many bad habits actually come from a person's surroundings and upbringing, what he has learned from family members and what he has been taught by his friends. When you think about it, people do not actually choose most things about their life. They are placed into a specific family, living in a specific area, and they live that specific life with their personal tool chest of inborn character traits. 2. External Thoughts Aside from your inborn character traits and aside from your behaviors which you picked up from your family and surroundings, which is a part of you, as you go through your life, you will encounter all kinds of situations that cause you to think and act in a certain way. For example, you can have naturally good character traits. However, if you become interested in the low-life behavior you see on the streets around you and you constantly think about it, eventually it will change your inner self. The source for this outside influence comes from the society around you, and the person can become affected and infected by sights and experiences he encounters throughout his lifetime. Aside from each of the above-mentioned influences, you are also affected by a mixture of each influence, which endless combinations cause us to have tremendous different amounts of pain and confusion. But the bottom line is... The bottom line is always the same. Somehow, after all is said and done, you lost control and ended up mishubed, addicted, subservient to the outside influences that pulled you away from being able to exercise self-control over your own mind, your own actions, 
and thus over your own life as represented by the quintessential example of the most powerful king of all addiction, Parai, the king of Mitzrayim, the king of minimizing a person and squeezing him into Mitzrayim boundaries. That was the genius of Parai and Mitzrayim. They took free-minded individuals who had self-control and they chained their minds, bound them, made them mishubid, and caused them to be weak-minded individuals without self-control. This is a deep insight into the true ambition of the evil Yetzirah. We are used to thinking about our fight with the Yetzirah as follows. There's two parts. Part one, he entices you to think and perform sins, to do bad. Part two, he tries to prevent you from performing mitzvahs. That is usually the two different parts that we feel our Yetzirah is affecting us. Get us to do bad, stop us from doing good. However, the truth is that the cunning Yetzahara has a much more dangerous and devious agenda in store for you. The Nesiva Shalom says, Even more than anything that the Yetzahara is actively trying to do to us that will cause us to do bad or stop us from doing good, even more than that, the Yetzahara digs in his fingernails deep into your heart and your mind to bamboozle and confuse you. His real plan, even more than pushing you to sin, even more than preventing you from doing good things, Torah and Mitzvahs and Ma'asim Tayyavim, he digs his fingernails deep into your heart and your mind to bamboozle and confuse you. It does this in order to minimize your spiritual vision so that even when you finally do something spiritual, it is done on a very shallow and small-minded level. The Nesiva Shalom says more. Once you are pushed down to a shallow level in your relationship with Hashem, even the mitzvahs and good deeds that you finally are able to do are done with a lack of clarity, a lack of feeling and intensity. Eventually, your connection to Hashem becomes diluted and you forget what your life's mission is really truly all about. You lose focus. The snake let the air out of your tires. At this point, the Yetzirah can sit back and relax because through his molestation of your spirit, he has managed to clip your spiritual wings, thereby grounding your ability to soar. How sad indeed. So even more than getting you to do sins, even more than trying to stop you from doing mitzvahs, he's looking to deflate you so you're so disconnected that at that point, even when you do something, it's just not the same as when a big tzaddik does that same thing.
to bring this out more clear. Let's put aside all your past sins and let's put aside any of your character flaws. Can you imagine? And while you're at it, let's also put aside all the positive mitzvahs and Torah learning observance that you did not properly pursue and actively partake in until now. Meaning, we're going to put aside anything bad or negative or lack of good that was ever a part of your life until right now. So with all those things on the side, so what's left? There should not be much of a difference between you and the greatest sage who ever lived, right? Now, the next time you do any mitzvah, look at yourself from the outside and think about how you are performing that mitzvah. Will you perform that mitzvah with the same connection, inspiration, and elevation as a pure holy tzaddik who never sinned and who did all of those learning and stuff that you didn't do? Absolutely not. So what you see is that even besides the Averis that you did in the past, and even besides for all the good things that you did not do, there's a much bigger play. That when you finally go to Davin Marv, you finally do something, you're not doing it on the level of the tzaddik. And that was because the Sahara, through those other actions, was really trying to get you down and lower, lower and lower and lower your elevation level, your spiritual connection to Hashem. So when you finally do something, it's so weak and pathetic. And that's what he was after all along. Let's bring an example to prove the point. Absent-minded. Yidl always made it his business to daven with a minion even during busy business days. What a great guy. One day he got to shul just in time for Shemina Esrei. He shuffled back and shuffled forward and started turning pages, saying the words, saying the words. Looking around the small shul while he's davening, he surveyed the people around him. All of a sudden he notices, hey, hey, is that Avi? I haven't seen him in a long time. I wonder how he's doing. After feeling the familiar vibration in his shirt pocket, he pulled out his Blackberry. As he rounded Slach Lanu, his right hand softly patted to the left side of his chest while his left hand softly scrolled to pick up his email. Beep, beep, beep. News update. The Yankees just agreed to trade Julio Maglaraga for $12 million. Oh, shoot. Bow down, bow down. Check text. Yidl, we're all here. Where are you? Cruising past Sim Shalom. He sent a quick reply. Running late. Be there in 15. Shuffle back. Shuffle up. Kedusha. Gone like the wind. Now let's break this down. Yidl's a good guy. He took time out of his hectic day to speak directly to God. He obviously believes in Hashem, and he believes that he can talk to Hashem. So if so, why did he perform this act of connecting to God on such a small-minded and watered-down level? This is exactly the point that we're trying to bring out. Aside from the previous acts of sin that is part of your history, and aside from the prevention of your positive deeds, there is really a much more serious game going on. The Nesiva Shalom says, Kol Iker Hiskabras Hara, Eitzel Ha'adam, Hiba'ez Chashkos Fetzimtum Hadas, Vikatnos Hamoichin, Kishuhu Hoyle Chashechim, Ve'en Neigeloi, Umashulusuma, Hachoshev Kemes. The main threat of the powers of evil is to create situations where you feel depression and darkness that restrict and compress your ability to think clearly, at which point, You're like a blind person who is compared to a dead person.
Authentic Yiddishkeit understands that the real goal of the evil snake is to deflate you and water down your relationship with Hashem so that even when you manage to finally do something good, you do it with such a superficial mindset, thus losing your opportunity to connect with God as you could and should. This glides you further down the slippery slope toward disconnection. Of course you aren't davening now as best as you can, because in your mind you don't really feel that you have a close relationship with Hashem. And what made you come to that conclusion? Your previous sins. Your sins are what prevent you from feeling completely connected to Hashem and calling out to Him wholeheartedly in your time of need. Your sins cause you to think that perhaps you are not the person Hashem really meant to call my beloved precious son. Your sins block you from feeling elated when you learn the Holy Torah and from feeling enthusiastic while doing mitzvahs. That's right. When you disregard the will of God and you set your petty fleeting desires as your focus and priority, then you are swimming against the natural tide of alliance with your Creator. Your life becomes a gerbil wheel as you run aimlessly on the treadmill of pleasure, getting nowhere fast. Your potential has been grounded. This is the real reason the snake wants you to sin, not just for the few points of commission that it gets for causing you to do an Avera, but much more so for weakening your entire grasp of spirituality and sinking your spiritual battleship. As the Beis Avram said, Once you feel disconnected from God, you will feel that you have no spunk left in you. The world increasingly becomes a dark and depressing world with one letdown after another. Life becomes full of pain and anguish and you always feel that you are missing out on the spice of life. You feel empty. As you become dispirited and deflated, you lose the ability to clearly see the hand of Hashem and then your life begins to lose true meaning and internal happiness escapes you. And that is what the evil snake wanted all along. As the Nesiva Shalom says, It is not possible for a Jew to feel alive while he feels that there is a brick wall between himself and his Father in Heaven. This is the secret war going on in our lives, and this deep concept is really what our exile is all about, for as long as someone feels completely connected to Hashem, it would not matter whether he is bringing a sacrifice, a carbon in the Beis HaMikdash, or walking into the gas chambers of Auschwitz. The main aspect of our being in Gullus, in exile, is that our hearts and our minds are clogged and numb. And we feel as though there is an iron wall dividing us from Hashem. This is what being in exile is really all about. When you feel separated from God and your heart and your mind is farshtopped, is stuffed up, and you feel like there's a wall between you and God, 
That's what the exile is really all about. It's being in chains. It's true, you don't see the chains. It's not physical slavery. It's much worse. Because the chains are inside our minds. And you lost time.